ओम नमो नारायण ओम नमो नारायण ओम नमो नारायण ओम नमो
You see, in the world, people think that they want people to be happy in a worldly way. Well, that's natural. Everybody wants his own, wants everybody to be like himself. But so you see mothers wanting their children to be married and have family and so on. Why he called her a great mother was that she had this faith in him to give her children to God, to give her children for training to him. And however, they weren't all ready for it. And this young man, he had a lot of spiritual potential, but in the end, he, after all, the delusion of sex is very strong today, and he fell into it. But what a sad thing to see that, as Master said, he won't be happy for incarnations because of that. Having made a decision, he's gone in another direction. It's going to take him time to work it out. As that one time he said to the center leader of our, our center in Mexico City, the SRF center there, and he said, I lost touch with you for a few incarnations, but now I won't lose touch with you again. And every now and then, Mr. Cuaron, the leader, would say to him, well, do you remember your promise, sir? And Master said, I won't. I, I, I remember. I won't let go of you. But there is a certain sternness in this. And worldly people, it's hard to break that attachment. It's hard for a mother to really give everything freely. If she sees that the child wants uh, what to her has been a natural and a worldly life, it's easy to understand. But Master couldn't call her great mother anymore because greatness would have been a real understanding that God is the father, not herself. Not God is the mother, not herself. That kind of dedication to God is something that not many people have. Many people come to God or to seek God very few stay with him. How many people over the years? See, I've now been on it. I've been a disciple of Master's for nearly 56 years. That's a, not very long, frankly, but doesn't seem long at all. But in human terms, we have to say that it's in relation to a human life, it's a pretty long time. And uh, how many people I have seen and go come and go. And those who have come and stayed and weathered the test and stuck with it, I've seen them not become more and more bowed down and miserable and carrying this heavy yoke. I've seen them rather as if shedding burdens until they're becoming shining and happy. And they see all people as their brothers and sisters. But there's always that delusion. You know, in Autobiography of a Yogi, when he ran away, uh, to the hill, uh, to the Himalayas, and then his brother caught up with him and brought him back. And his friend, um, when his brother greeted him there, Master said he was basking in the familial warmth. There's a certain comfort. You know, it's like what Ramakrishna, a beautiful saying of his, he said that, that it's sort of like the fish in the net when the fisherman casts his net to draw the fish in, many fish, instead of leaping out of the net, think to find security by uh, going deeper into their little huddle. What they don't know is that the fisherman is drawing, gathering them all in, and then they become uh, fodder. And so many people think to 
go back to delusion and the comfort of the delusion, the comfort of home, the comfort of being approved of by others, the comfort of, after all, people like you to agree with them, and they don't like it when you decide that you don't like their way and decide that you want to become a devotee and to seek God. There's always going to be a resistance there. And so the familial warmth, the sort of huddling, uh, hunkering down in the little nest again, sooner or later life's going to kick you out of that nest and you're going to have to fly anyway. But the tendency of so many is a little bit, and then these old things come up, like that first boy, actually the brother of the first one, but mommy, he's scolding me. He didn't like that. He didn't like to face the battle of life. It's the warriors who win. It's the warriors who, I mean, supposing a warrior were to go out to battle, and uh, let's talk about the old days when they had swords and somebody hits him with a sword. I mean, a little warrior uh, was really worth his salt. Well, he say, oh, you hit me. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's why the Bhagavad Gita is set on a battlefield. You've got to be willing to die if necessary for God. You've got to be willing to give everything to God. Arjuna says, oh, I don't want to kill my own relatives. That's the typical struggle that everybody goes through. He suddenly realizes that what he has to face, what he has to destroy, is his own qualities, not somebody outside. His own greed, selfishness, lust, passion, all the family of the relatives that we have that are our own qualities. We've developed them ourselves, but they are a part of delusion. They're not what make us happy. They're our enemies. And he says, oh, Krishna, rather than fight my own kith and kin, I would rather not fight. And so we see at the end of part one, Arjuna says, I will not fight. Then Krishna comes, and this is his answer to every devotee. Don't think you kill anything. Now this is true in an actual war. If you have the duty of a soldier to defend your country and not to just be a bully or go out there aggressively, that's not a just war. But to defend your country is a just war. And to die in that is actually people who die in battle bravely, not caring for their bodies. They do go to Swarga, they do go to heaven, and they get to enjoy a period of time in the realm of light because they have had the courage to give up even their bodies. This is the true Kshatriya. And anyway, if they will have that attitude, then this is what Krishna was trying to say. But he wasn't really talking about that. He used the physical plane and human battle as a symbol of the divine war within ourselves. That's why later on in the Bhagavad Gita, he said, Arjuna, this body is Khetrajala. This body is the battlefield. And remember when he said that, the, uh, that we are like uh, the Ashvata tree with the, with the uh, roots above and the tree below? That's the spine. The whole Gita is a very deep spiritual allegory. The spine is the trunk of the tree. The roots are the energy of the Sahasrara, which are also physically represented by the 
hairs on our head. The nerves are the branches that go out to the to the to the uh, to the senses, and we need to withdraw that energy from the senses. This is what yoga is all about: withdrawing it from the senses to the spine, learning to raise the kundalini, raise the power up through the centers, the chakras of the spine, and unite it here with the spiritual eye. Go through the spiritual eye and ultimately find a union of your lower and your higher self in the sahasrara. That is yoga. It's not union outside yourself. When you, when you become complete in yourself, when you achieve this complete self-integration, then suddenly you find that you're one with everything. God is inside and outside. God is as far away as the most distant star and as close as your nearest thoughts. And time and space, these are all a delusion. They're all a dream. How do we have our human feelings when we love other people? Where does our love come from? Do we create it? No. You manifest what you already have inside. You couldn't love if love were not already a factor, a feature of your own being. And what is joy? Joy doesn't come when you eat something good or meet somebody who delights you. or You have ideas in your mind that this uh, that are satisfied. And what happens is that that satisfaction reminds you, it satisfies an idea in your mind, and as that idea is satisfied, a little burst of joy comes out in yourself. Well, if you can understand that there's no relationship between your inner happiness and your inner joy and the outer things that you experience and behold in the world, that it all begins with you. The world is a mirror to your own self. When you can look at things and feel joy, not in the things, but in yourself, when you can eat a nice ice cream cone and say, I'm enjoying myself, that's all you enjoy anyway. You know, there's a lovely story of George Bernard Shaw. He was not a devotee, yet he spoke a deep truth in this occasion. He was at a party, and the hostess, he was sitting off by himself, and the hostess came and asked him, are you enjoying yourself? because he wasn't mixing with people, and he looked up at her, perhaps a little bleakly, and anyway, he said, that's all I am enjoying. Well, I don't know his mood or attitude when he said that, but the truth is that's all you can enjoy. Wherever you go, wherever you are, you can only carry yourself and you can only enjoy yourself. What is love? Is it only ours? Or does love whisper in the flowers, surely we children of this world could not love by our own powers. What is joy? Is it just a dream, or does joy laugh in every stream? Are the clouds mindless after all, or is joy all nature's theme? That's what life is for, to find that joy in yourself. May you have it. God bless you. What is love? Is it only ours, or does love whisper in the flowers? flowers. Surely we, children of this world, could not love.
what is joy? Is it just a dream? Or does joy love in every stream? Are the clouds mindless after all? Or is joy nature's theme? dead, so men say, can't they see all life's his play, not a church binds him as its own, not a creed makes him fully known, foolish Love we touch in the flower. 